Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I want to welcome everybody again. Um, Happy Mother's Day again. I'm going to refer to that a little bit later on. Uh, It's good to see everybody, even though you're spread out. we're in the middle of a Navigate series, a new series we started last week called Navigate, and uh, it's talking about gifts, and Tim uh, started us up last week, and he, uh, yes, he did great. I, I love talking about physics and God and uh, almost getting yelled at by the captain, no, getting yelled at. Um, but I was out in the foyer when he was saying we had like a menagerie of different topics, and I don't remember what he told you guys I was going to talk about, so does anybody know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was being a dad, or I was visiting or something out there. But uh, anyway, this message last week was very good. It was good for me because, like I said, I, I like the physics, I like the experiences, I like the, the adventure, and we can bring God into all this. Uh, but I hope if you heard it, that you heard about the gifts and the impact that they have on us and on the church and that you started to research that a little bit, look into what your, your strengths are and, and looking into stepping into that. And then more importantly, or as important, this, this aspect or this concept of lift, that when we are working together, when all those sales are working together, they, they create lift. Or, um, I don't know if I can explain it the way Tim did, but uh, as the bow of the sail creates a higher speed wind on the one side, it creates a low pressure on the other side. And, and God just, he tears me up by revealing stuff just in time. And so, um, let me, I'm going to read what I wrote here. Uh, he did a great job of describing how the sails, if they're used correctly, the boat can head directly into a wind or a headwind by creating a low pressure environment that pulls the boat along. Now, when I said low pressure out loud this morning or yesterday, it got to me thinking. Um, it sounds even more powerful of an analogy because uh, when with our combined service of working together, it propel, pro, sorry propels us forward in a low pressure environment. And doesn't that sound like joyful and relaxing in a low pressure environment? <laughs> And then as I said that, I think most weather, when a low pressure uh, comes through, there's a storm. So you can be joyful and peaceful in the midst of the storm. How's that? So this concept of gifts being used and everyone serving cannot be underestimated. We must all get it for the church to step into the greatest potential. But for today, you must understand it because it's the greatest potential to bring you joy and fulfillment. When you're serving in the areas of strength and of which you're created, you will experience the greatest joy and peace or that low pressure. So I'm not going to talk about gifts per se. I'm going to talk about how you move forward and step into those gifts when you're stuck and you don't feel like moving forward or serving. Or maybe there's a lie or several lies that you're listening to and you're, you're believing these lies and it's holding you back. I want to explore putting more effort and trust into knowing God and listening to him. And maybe a little less trust into what other people think 
or what other people tell you that God says. I want you to have that relationship with God, okay? He, God wants this relationship with you, just you, each one of you. And that's what I'm going to talk about. He knows what you're going through. He knows and he cares. And I believe that if you tell him, and the more that you tell him, he will help us all navigate. And when we get stuck or depressed or embarrassed or whatever that lie is, I believe if you share those thoughts, those fears, those struggles, then he listens. And God will reveal his plan for you. He will help you navigate, even if it's only one step. I said it a while ago. He, he's revealing this message. We decided on it months ago. And things have come out like I had no control over. They were just revealed to me, the Spirit. But he, he'll do it one step at a time. And he'll move you. He'll motivate you, and he'll give you direction. So let's pray. Father, we humbly come to you, just torn up. We pray for wisdom. We pray for understanding. And we implore you for clarity that will give us an audacious and bold and confident faith that'll make us zealous for living in a relationship with you. We ask you to break down barriers and give us your vision. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you remember the Defender series? I'm gonna, so, so Kip kicked it off, and I'm not going to do what he did, but he had us all jumping up and down. I mean, seriously getting some air. And, and he said he was jacked up for this series, and he was. He was motivated about actually living out the gospel message. And, he, and, and to be in this culture, to be a defender of, of the message, of the faith. And he developed this picture of Jesus as a warrior, not just a passive leader or teacher. And then by extension, when we follow Jesus, then we are to become like a warrior every day. So I was laughing when I thought of this question, like how many of you guys get up in the morning feeling like a warrior? Uh, <laughs> me too. Um, well, in that same series, then uh, Rochelle gave us this picture in her message of, of David before he was king. And he was being trained, but then there came a time that he needed to step into his faith and his training. And in that, uh, his response to Goliath, that, if you didn't hear it, read it and listen to this message, but he was motivated by the words Goliath was saying about our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and putting him down. And Goli or David by himself went out, slain the, the giant, and cut off his head with his own sword. And then that came back around. But it's that spirit, that attitude, that life-giving thinking. Did you hear that? Life-giving thinking. We think of that first. And that you know that you know that you know what you are, who you are, and what you're doing. See, David had a heart after God, and he recognized both when God had prepared him for his work and his path, and when God was asking him to exercise his faith, in spite of all these huge obstacles. So these messages were great because they give us a picture of living out our gifting, our purpose. But I want to, I want to talk to you about, about you, how you and how I live with the same passion. How do we get that passion and then keep it? How do we navigate life when we've made mistakes, when we've made missteps, or when we have doubts and because we're listening to the lies of Satan? There's a quote that we've quoted many times, I believe, from this stage or from Monarch, uh, from A.W. Tozer. 
and I have two different versions of it. Um, he said it a couple different ways. What I believe about God is the most important thing about me. So I want to emphasize we always need to start with God, what God thinks, what he's giving to us. The other one is what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most thing, important thing about us. That, that will change everything if you start with him and listen to what he has defined you as. What we think about God drives how much we believe the promises that he gives us. And then that thinking develops the confidence that enables us to trust him and to step out into faith and become more bold and confident. I can tell you that God is good. I can tell that he wants good for you. But he's the one that knows what your good is. He's the one that has to tell you. He's the one that can reveal to you how good he is and how much he loves you. And it's in his word where we see the, his nature and we see examples of people that are challenged to exercise their faith in him. And, and whether they did well or whether they failed, because we can relate to that. Um, many times in life we focus not just on that good, and we hear that good, but we focus on the wrong things or the lies that Satan's telling us. And we don't turn our thoughts back to God. See, we're going to hear the lies. We're going to be told the lies. But what do you do when you hear them? Do you turn back to God or do you stay in those lies? And so I'm going to give you an example of this. I'm sure a lot of you guys know John 10.10. Um, if I had you quote it, I would say 50% of you would go, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And you'd stop. But I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this isn't your version of abundance. This is God's version of abundance. <laughs> so it's life-changing if you know that, if you hear that, if you listen to it and, and breathe it in. So what we think about God does matter. We must draw confidence, again, I'm going to keep saying this, and encouragement by who God is. And that verse, abundant life, actually kind of refers back to life in the garden, before sin. Life walking with God, hearing his physical approach, knowing when his spirit is with us, and then, and then spending time in his presence. It is not a checklist. It's not just a set time. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to wait. <laughs> um. So let's look at an example, and I know you're familiar with this, but how Jesus can redefine a situation and then redirect it. I'll bet most of you are familiar with this story, but I want to revisit it. It's in John 4, and it's a story of the Samaritan woman. She's at the well. So first, I need to set it up a little bit because there's some history behind it. Actually, there's hundreds of years of history. Um, but in John 3, Jesus and his disciples haven't officially announced their ministry, Jesus' ministry, but they're working on it, and they're stirring things up. And they're in Jerusalem. They decide to go out to the uh, countryside, the uh, Judean countryside, and then they're going to head north to Galilee. Uh, but first, a little bit background of where they're going to go. Um, they're going to go up, so they're... If you're physically looking at where uh, Jerusalem is, uh, there's Mount Zion. But then north of there, if you were to go straight north towards Galilee, you go through Samaria, past Mount Gerizim and Sikar. We're going to mention that here in a minute. It's another mountain. And the Samaritans, um, <clears throat> it's about 30 miles from, from Jerusalem. And the, 
uh, some things that happened on Mount Gerizim was uh, Abraham built an altar there. Jacob constructed an altar there, and he also dug a well. So that's where Jacob's well is, is just outside of Sakar. And for the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim has been a sacred site of worship uh, for, to God for centuries. And on this mountain is where the Samaritans had built a temple to rival the one in Jerusalem. So just to sum up kind of what their thinking is, the Samaritans, and they're Jewish, but they've been mixed. They're a mixed breed because of, of the exile. And so th- this all causes so much dissension. It creates barriers and walls. But their four main points, they want to be the keepers of the Torah, their version of the Torah. They think there's one location to worship God, and that's on Mount Gerizim. They believe there is one God, and they do refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they really stop short of a lot of the history because... They believe there's only one prophet, Moses. They also believe there's only one book, and it's the Torah, that first five books of, of what we know the Bible is. But the Hebrew is actually even a little bit different in there. But it's, that's where they stop, and they hold fast to that law, and they're defenders of the law. So this is where Jesus is going to take the disciples through. Now, normally, when um, I think if you're watching The Chosen, you might notice that they speak of this trip to Galilee. It's going to take six days. And Jesus said, well, we'll be there in three days. And uh, I just thought of something else. Um, <laughs> anyway, they're like, why? And so they go on the, on the, they're starting on the route. And Jesus is like, nope, we're going to go this way. And he starts to take them through. And they end up at the well. And so that's the background for John 4. So let's start there. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Now, when Jesus learned from the Pharisees that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although this wasn't absolutely true, his disciples were doing it, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So in the heat of the day is kind of what that means. Now a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and this is normally thought of as an odd time of the day for the women to come. But Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And I told you, the, the Jews considered the Samaritans unclean. So that's why they didn't even want to deal with them. They didn't want to talk to them. They just wanted to go around it. They wouldn't associate with them. This woman is usually thought of as coming to the well at that time of the day because she had a sordid past or someone that they looked down on. And, we, and, and it's usually more an adultery type point of view. But I want to go back to what I told you about earlier. Um, she was excluded or ostracized, it, it seems, but maybe. Maybe she wasn't necessarily on purpose ostracized. And the reason I say this is because if the Samaritans believed in the Torah and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Leviticus 20, verse 10, the punishment for sexual immorality is stoning. So she shouldn't have lived past a day if they knew it. 
she should have been stoned already. So that's my first point. The second one is in Deuteronomy, there are laws concerning the, I always say this wrong, the Levirate marriage laws. Uh, And you'll be familiar with them when you, uh, if um, a close-knit community, um, a brother is married and and he dies and he doesn't have a son or an heir, his brother is supposed to fulfill the duty. And if he doesn't have an heir, the next one is supposed to do it. So those are the laws I'm summarizing. So if you think about this a little bit, she wasn't dead because she didn't get stoned, so maybe she didn't commit adultery, but maybe she was really having a bad Mother's Day and she just didn't want to be around anybody else. (laughs) Maybe she went to the well when nobody else would be there because nobody would listen. And it's too long of a story to tell you why that causes me to. (laughs) Anyway, so if you take that background, you might understand a whole different reason why she's there at that time, getting water and and having this, and and why Jesus knew that she was there. So I'm going to go on with the story. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? See, Jesus is talking to her in circumstances and facts that she knew. He came to her where she was. I'm going to go on down here. Um, Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and and come here. And the woman answered him, and she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now live with is not your husband. And that's where we draw all that adultery talk from. But it it may not be that. And what I'm going to tell you here in a bit, I hope shocks you. (laughs) Our fathers worked, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And she goes on to talk a little bit more about her history and her thinking. And Jesus tells her, uh, you worshipped what you do know, do not know, but the Jews worship what they do know. Uh, for from the for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming now and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. So the Father is coming to to find you. He's seeking people to worship Him. God is spirit. For those who worship him must be must worship him in spirit and truth. And this is where uh, you see a little bit more of her background. She refers to a passage in Deuteronomy 18 about the coming Messiah knowing and revealing himself and revealing what, what they, they know to be true that somebody else wouldn't. So he's revealing truth that other people don't know. There's no reason for him to know other than he is the Messiah. So that just flipped a switch with her. Because he knew her so well, and he was, was firm about it, but loving, it, it converted her. I mean, she was a believer at that point. And so she takes off into town and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And if there's a, a, a point, a high point in my message, that's it. Because Jesus knows. He knew her background. He knew her struggle. See, it really didn't matter what we think about this woman. It doesn't matter if she was an adulteress or if she was lonely and depressed. 
it only matters, um, and, and, and the people, maybe they didn't even know. Maybe she only felt ostracized. It, it still doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus knows. And Jesus knows your struggles, and he knows your background, and he knows what you came in here thinking. Okay? So now it's time for the disciples to come back. And they come back, and they're like, what is going on here? And so uh, the woman had gone into town, and this is really cool. You get to be a part of this. Because you can go tell people your joy and your peace and your relief. Your release because Jesus knows you. And this Holy Spirit has come into you and given you this peace. And you can go tell other people. When we see the, the Samaritan woman, she goes back into town. She shares her testimony. And because of that, people want to know. And they come. And they come out there, and the people came, the many Samaritans came, it says in verse 39, from that town, they believed in him because of what the woman's testimony was. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came out, they asked him to stay for, with them and stayed for a couple days. And verse 41, this is where the church moves. This is where they said, and many more believed because of his word. So they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. When we tell other people, there should be an excitement. There should be a moving, a motivating, but they need to hear Jesus. They need to meet him and experience him. And that's what I love about this. Even on this Mother's Day, if it's not all that you wanted it to be, or whatever day, whatever struggle you're having, the, the key is, is that you talk to him, you spend time with him, and it's not a, a, a fixed schedule. It's not a fixed rule. It's an ongoing, everyday, throughout the day relationship. One last note on this. If you have been watching the Chosen series, not like I, I'm not recommending it here, um, the episode where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, um, they mention her name. So she has a name that's not listed in the Bible, but in some other extra biblical readings. Her name's Fotina, which means luminous one. So she brought the light. And in this, um, you know, this exchange at the well, she's talking about all the barriers. The barriers that the Samaritans put up to worship on, on Mount Gerizim. And the barriers that the, the uh, Jerusalem Jews put up to worship on the temple. And Jesus said, I came to break all that down. You're going to worship in spirit and truth. So there was no longer worrying about worshiping on one mountain or this mountain. And it's a great example of, of her realizing her call, stepping into it, and, and then uh, the church expanding. This, you can see this confidence, and they did a great job in the, in the show, of her face, her countenance changed. And if she was that bad and ostracized, they sure responded well to her. So, I mean, that's what Jesus does to you. He changes you. So when we start to talk about other people or how they were, we need to say that's how they were and, and leave open this, this resurrection power that we sing about. We need to talk about that. So where does that leave us? Um, Ephesians 2.10. I love this verse. I memorized it, and I just reread it in the message, so I wanted to share that with you. He created each of us by Christ Jesus to join in him with the work that he does. The good work he's gotten ready for us, so we better be doing it. We better get going.
So is there something, as I have said, talked about this this evening, um, that you're thinking of that's holding you back, that's stopping you from moving forward? When you hear that prompt from the Holy Spirit, what stops you from moving forward? Is there a set of circumstances, some, some uh, failures, some disappointments that's keeping you from walking in your faith, in your training? Because you've been trained for something up to this point. You're gifting your experience, your peace. Is there something holding you back? Is there something keeping you from being available to the Holy Spirit? And I want that to ring true with you because the Holy Spirit's with us, ready all the time. And I want you to to be able to hear. I do have um, a few examples. Let's see. Of labels or failures. And like I said, this was kind of God's timing. <laughs> um, and earlier I said not to listen to what other people think. I, I didn't mean wholeheartedly. Uh, I want you to take what other people tell you about what they think about God, and I want you to measure that with what God says, okay? <clears throat> so that's my clarification. I can recommend a book. Um, I, this book came out in March, and it's by Arden Bevere, and it's called Redefined. And I'm not going to like go through everything. I'm just saying it's a really concise book, especially for a younger generation, but everybody really. And I just want to hit a few points in it because there are some things that I know I'm going to mention that some of you are going through, that I'm going through. Um, in, in this redefined book, he says he's confronting labels that limit us. So that's a great point. The words accumulate in our minds and they build an image in us of who we think we are and that has the potential to impact who we act like and who we become okay it's this thinking so labels limit our world but callings enlarge our world and they speak to the future of who God created us to be labels get stuck in events and that is so powerful if you keep remembering a failure and don't ever move past it you're not crediting God for forgiveness. You're not crediting Jesus for paying the price for any failure hit. You've, you've got to leave that, that at the door. You, you can't bring that with you. Um, callings go beyond any trauma or pain or mistakes or circumstances. And since we're living in this time of, um, let me say this the right way, of, of information overload, in this information is a lot of misinformation and twisted truths. And I thought an Orwellian quote might be appropriate. Um, so George Orwell, in his Politics in English Language, says that, uh, talks about how powerful thoughts are. He says, if thought corrupts language, then language can also corrupt thought. We need to be careful what we're speaking. I mean, as much or more than what we're, what we're listening to, what we're processing, what we're measuring everything against. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Test everything that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have to test everything. We measure it, and that means you need to know the word. You need to ask God to reveal it to you. So a few of the labels... Oh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So you will abide by, you will follow, you will become what you talk about, what you think about. So how do we go beyond this, where, where we're at right now? Um, 
some people feel lost. They just can't get a focus. But in Jesus, we can live a focused life. We can be focused on God. Maybe in our daily, this onslaught of information, we get caught up in, and we don't actually go back to God and say, you know, where, where's your starting point each day? Um, we need to um, measure opinions and sales pitches um, against what God says and, and who we know we are in Jesus. So if you're lost, go to Psalm 91. He's your refuge and your fortress. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So I, I said it earlier, but God is seeking you. And, and he sent Jesus to do that work to free you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Some people, I know, are broken and experience shame, and they just can't get past that. But we can be restored. We can be hopeful. There's a beauty in restoration, in victory. Um, there's actually a Japanese art form called kensugi. Some of you have probably heard of this. But when a, a delicate piece of pottery is broken, um, there's actually a Chinese general that said, we need to be able to do something with this. And, and nobody was able to figure it out. Well, a Japanese group figured it out. And it's a form of art that repairs broken pottery with gold lacquer. So the brokenness stays in it, but it's repaired. It's celebrated. It's not covered up or hidden. And in the same way, God infuses our brokenness with his grace. He makes us more beautiful than we were before. He puts our broken pieces back together and he adds value to the future. He, he brings you back up to where he has you and he sets you on this trajectory that's valuable. And it doesn't matter what you have done or what shame you're living with. That's all a lie. It's been forgiven. It's been made new. Um, there's a lot of doubt. So much doubt. Um, I... I think people, 80% of the people I know quit thinking. And uh, like you, <laughs> I don't mean to be mean. I'm just like, do we have to keep reviewing what we have known from, I don't even know what subject. Just pick something and we know so much about a subject, but somebody comes along with a news story or this hot sales pitch and we quit thinking about what we know. And you can apply that to whatever life you have. But we can be seeking like Solomon and, and gain wisdom through God's word, the fear of the Lord. We can ask questions like Thomas. It's in the Bible for us to grow from that. Ask questions like Thomas did. Trust like Job with your whole life. Lose everything to trust Jesus. And like Peter, keep looking. Just keep looking. And even when you fail, get up and keep looking. And you, you'll lose that doubt. I mean, you know, there'll be days you have doubt, but you'll, you'll redirect, you'll refocus on God. Um, this is a big one that I'm not going to talk a lot about, but people being offended. We need to be blessed in our forgiveness and be submissive. Submit to Jesus in everything you do. And to those people that are in authority or in relationship with you, submit to them. This will all turn around once we step into this. Lacking and comparison. We just got to quit looking around. We've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And like I said, there's a lot in this book 
that I don't want to take time right now to. But it's in this book. It started in the Bible. We have people with strong addictions. But we know that because of Jesus and because all that he's paid for us, we're fighters. We can deny the flesh. We can reprogram our neuron pathways and overcome this addiction. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. I just know it can be done. I, can, I know it can be done in the power of Jesus before I knew any science or history about it. Okay, so now I have more boldness about it. It can be overcome. But we have to deny the flesh and we have to retrain the brain from what we put into our hearts. We have the tools. We have the grace to fight and overcome. There's discouragement, and we can be hopeful. There's entitlement. We need to learn to be grateful. There's fear, and it's the bad fear that I'm talking about, fear of moving forward. We need to be fearful in God. Acknowledge him. Be in awe of him. I love being in awe. I love living in awe. It's energizing. It's motivating. Um, You actually add speed to your steps when you're in awe. <clears throat> so many of these labels are labels that allow that we allow and I that's so key we allow them to stop us from stepping forward they prevent us from ex- exercising our faith in God and faith in who he has prepared us to be I don't want to meet David and say hey uh, that was awesome how you killed the bear and the lion and then you went out and you did that to Goliath and he's like yeah well you were trained for this and this and this and you didn't step out into it so thankfully Jesus paid the price no I I just made that up I I don't want to have that discussion I want to step into my training and be bold I want to wake up like a warrior every morning 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take them all captive and they obey Christ. If you want to see your life changed, if you want to take control of the navigation of your life, you have to start by filtering things that come into contact with your mind. Invite God in every part of your thinking and you're going to get stung when you do it. He's going to step, set you back. But invite him in, and then let him take your cap- thoughts captive and lead you in the right direction. Like I said, it may be one step at a time. It may not. I have had thoughts on the way here that I have added into this message that aren't typed in here. Um, I have a, pros- a passage that I want to kind of talk you through really quickly. Um, uh, this pastor I listened to, Pastor Ford, he goes, I don't have time to talk about it. I'm just going to drop it. And so I'm going to drop these this really quickly. Galatians 5 and 6. Galatians 5 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, how do you not go back into what your brain thinks, what your cravings think, what your friends have all allowed you to do? If Jesus set you free, but what do you do with that then? Well, if you study this passage, and I'm going to challenge you to do this, walk through Ephesians 5, and it's going to tell you to give up fleshly things. 
And then you, ask, you start to keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to give you these gifts of the Spirit that we're going to talk about more next week and the week after. And there's going to be joy coming from this. And that there's going to be hard work. And you know what the best thing is, is when we get to lift and you get into Galatians 6, we talk about bearing each other's burdens. And we start to go running in sailing into this headwind. As a church, as a community, we will bear one another's burdens and we'll be better. We'll be less addicted and less fearful and less doubtful. I have to say this, Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. When you don't know what else to do, praise the Lord. All right. Man, 14 font goes fast. I want you to know that nothing disqualifies you from service. Nothing negates his love for you or the ability for him to work through you. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I've heard the word grace several times in this uh, service today. And it, that word has been just attacking me because it's all about him. It's all his grace to us to get us through, to change us, to renew us. And I, and I read this verse. I've been reading in the ESV and then side by side with the message. <laughs> this blew me away. You know the, the verse where, are you tired and weary? Listen to this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion like Fotina was? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take, the, take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So he makes it right for you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I'm going to pray, but I feel like as I've talked, there's probably things that you've come up in your mind that you know there are barriers, there are walls, there are lies that Satan's telling you. And as we sing come forward, step up, stand up, put your hands up, but give your heart to God. And then when you leave here, I want you to get into the word. And I want you to press into what he has for you. Ask him, ask him the next step. And I know, I want you to have this vision of, of these spiritual changes that you're going to be getting these gifts. They're going to be more alive to you. So let's close. If anyone is doubtful, if anyone is addicted, if anyone is ready to turn over to Jesus, just say it. Father, I ask you to complete this word that you've given me. I know you've worked it in my heart. I ask you to fill these hearts throughout the rest of this week and help us to identify your working, your, your moving, and most of all, your grace. Help us to identify these unforced rhythms that you've set up in life, that we will keep in step with them, and that we'll develop this just awesome, immense momentum with the local church, with our families, with those around us. And I just pray this all humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.